Welcome back to the Rogue Philosopher Podcast with Dr. Jesse Workman. I'm just going to light this cigarette and see if it either inspires me or makes me feel kind of blah. So here we go, Rogue Philosopher. Uh, topical uh, subject, what's, what's your religion, what's my religion, does anybody actually know? Um, I'm going to be doing several of these, a number of these over a period of time, just to try to explore the supposition that secular politics or national politics or certain other forms of political consciousness is a form of religion <clears throat> that for people it doesn't necessarily need to have anything to do with God or with the worship of God or with there being any God at all. You can be an atheist and, and you can uh, be a non-believer in God and yet still be a religious person or vice versa. You can be uh, a believer in, in a divine, a deity. You know, people like to call themselves, I'm spiritual, I'm an... All right, I got... I can, I can, I can respect that, although it's a little hokey, but okay. I tried that when I was young and found it to be a failure. I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. No, you, you are solitary, and you don't like people telling you what to do, which is cool. So, I mean, be, be a little more honest about what does this mean, spiritual? What do these things mean? Do we even know? Let's see what this does to me. Yeah, sometimes I kind of... Cigarettes don't always make me feel better. So it's, let's see what happens. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's coming out, all the crickets. I'm responsible for that. I, I a couple years ago... I was tired of not hearing any crickets on summer evenings. And it was through June, no crickets. Through July, no crickets. I'm like, why the hell aren't there any crickets? So I went to a pet store. And I bought $50 worth of crickets. And I carry them in this bag, this giant, like a Ziploc bag full of crickets. And the thing is crazy. It was like holding a bag of living Rice Krispies. They're crawling all over each other. And I didn't know this, but my niece was working at the pet store. And I walked in, and, and she's just like, oh, you know, hey, what are you doing here? Like, what? I want to buy some crickets. You want what? She thought I'd gone completely mad. Uh, but the upshot of it is, and it took about five minutes to let them all go, too. We open up the bags. We got a small lawn. It's really rocky here and hilly, and the, the ground is, the terrain is very uneven. Uh, but we've got an old stone wall, and I just sort of stood in front of the stone wall and upended the bag and tried to, you know, toss some of them further out into the grass, you know, and I tried to walk up and down the next to the wall so they could scatter them over a wider area, and the birds went nuts. There were birds just diving out of the sky, and they were eating all my crickets, but I guess a lot of them survived because last year, two years, we've just been inundated with crickets. I like to imagine that that they're the they're the offspring of all the crickets that I released. I don't know. It was like two hundred, I think. I think I released the wrong kind of crickets too. I think the the native crickets to this area, to New England, are are black, and the ones I released were brown. You can buy them in a pet store to feed them to an iguana or a lizard or something, 
And so I just, I didn't care. I just wanted crickets. Just give me some crickets. I didn't pay attention to what they were. And, but it hasn't altered the different sounds of the chirps. So they must, they must fit in right, you know, they must fit in fairly well. They sound like the same crickets to me, but, but they're everywhere. In this, this late summer, they've really been coming out in force. It's been raining a lot, but we've had a lot of warm, warm days, and I'm hoping we have a warm fall, you know, that, that the, the warm temperatures last well into October, and we have an Indian summer, hopefully. Uh, but what I'm envisioning for, for this, maybe for the next few, I might not do them all in a, in a row, but it'll be up to Chris. The next few episodes, I'm going to be addressing the idea of people having a religious attitude that is having a religion towards their politics, toward their political ideologies. I'm not a fan of ideologies. People should be aware of that by now. I don't, I try not to dogmatically subscribe to any ideology. As, as I said before, as the facts change, my opinions change. That's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of careful consideration. You're flip-flopping on the issues. No. I've been given additional facts in the, the matter, and I'm changing my opinion according to the changing of the facts. Because people today, and, and part of it's the media, the damnable media, part of it really does seem, and then there's woke, which is a false religion, and I, I, I say that it's false because it has embedded hypocrisy and because it's, it's a religion that has all of the negative stereotypes you'd associate with puritanical uh, religion, the, the kind of stuff they burned people to death over, uh, because these people will burn people to death. And, and in communist countries, they always end in blood. But the French Revolution did too, so what is it about a religious attitude? We've had all of our wars over religion. We've had a lot of wars over politics. And to me, I, I, I'm coming to conclude that it's very much the same thing. You, you subscribe to an ideology, you, you're banking on a worldview, and you kind of swallow the worldview whole, and it affects everything that you perceive. It changes how you perceive it. And people have the kind of the same kind of uh, the passion that makes you override your cultural objections to violence. It makes you override your your. I think it's ordinary for humans to believe we can't change the situation if we think it's bad. We just don't feel empowered to do so. Very few people do. That's why they're professional politicians, and then there's the rest of us, and we vote for them because they have the power to make the changes. And then, so we don't live in a, a pure democracy in that case. It's better than the other dictatorships in the world, but it's not a true democracy. We, we no, we're not very empowered as citizens. And part of it is, is rational. Part of it is because, well, uh, people involved in the issues, the political issues, they know all of the ins and outs. Hopefully they know and are aware of all of the interpretations, different sides. You know, most politicians just seem to be idiots. I'd like to believe that they have some sort of 
knowledge, that they, ha that they have some kind of capabilities that I don't have, which is why they're politicians and I'm not. Uh, and it just, it wrecks everything that it touches. It wrecks everything. It wrecks communities. It wrecks, it wrecks schools. It wrecks friendships. It destroys families. It's, it's not good. And what, what is it about these things that engender the same kind of passions in people that used to be uh, generated by one's belief in God and you're fighting over God? That leads people to war. And these politics, they're nothing if not atheistic. I mean, all of them. It doesn't matter which side you're even on. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, it... it it is an atheistic ideology. Most of them are. I mean, of course, you have religious fundamentalists and they're involved in politics, or you have uh, liberals who make a religion out of their liberalism, and they're conscious about this, and they, they will talk about it, and they'll call it a religion. Uh, there was a speech, uh, I don't know where, how long ago it was, but it was on YouTube, where uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talked about in her religion. Her religion, they believe in helping poor people. They believe in helping people who need a helping hand. In her religion, they don't judge people. In her religion, all, you know, blah, blah, blah. At least she's courageous enough to call it what it is. But politics are nothing if not extremely judgmental and extremely divisive. And we're told not to talk about when we meet new people or around the dinner table or what have you, because it always causes violence. Don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics. So why are we cautioned to avoid these things? And it has to be because people recognize the danger and they understand that these things can cause conflict, but conflict in a, in a manner that's of a religious nature. That is to say, it's, it's a conflict that's caused by emotions that are stronger than our usual run-of-the-mill. I mean, given the right situations, we'll kill for our families, we'll kill to protect our families, and we're taught not to kill. In the right situations, we'll go to war and kill for our politics. Why is that? Our families are... Are they threatened by politics? Do we live in, in such an unstable state that we have to burn our cities down? And some of this people can justify pretty easily. Well, I've, I've got to attack these people because they're, they're threatening my way of life or they're endangering... Oh, my fan is on. I should, I'll just stay away from it so it doesn't wreck the recording. We'll, we'll do these things that are totally irrational, unreasonable, and we'll justify doing it as a result of, uh, of our political opinions or our political views. And now we allow, in our culture, we allow for religious exemptions from stuff that's probably not necessarily a good idea to evade uh, a religious exemption for a vaccine because we respect religion or a religious exemption from receiving blood a certain religion uh, Adventist 
Jehovah's Witness, if they're in the hospital, they they won't receive blood, even if failing to receive the blood will lead to death. And they're willing to die rather than to violate their religious principles. Which is interesting and ironic because people violate their principles all the time. They've in their marriages, they wreck their marriages, yet they won't receive blood to save their lives. It's irrational. And then these things aren't aren't rational. And what would you say, well, matters of the heart aren't rational. So if it's a matter of the heart, then isn't it a religion? And I have to, I have to try to explore this because look what it's doing to the country. Look what it's doing to politicizing medical issues that are scientific. Look what it's doing to our domestic politics, our, our foreign policy. It's not good. And so why such... And we have to admit that the irrationality extends to our politicians as well. They're human too. So they have the same kind of a reaction as we would. Just one assumes that they have greater insight or they're more enlightened because also religions and politics tend to whip up the crowd. I mean, and that's in a democracy, you have to whip up the crowd or else you're going to lose the election. And so they're designed to do that. That's what their purpose is, is to make people mad or to make them afraid. Uh, to make them mad or afraid. If they're mad or afraid, they're more easily controllable. And then if they're more easily controllable, what will they do? They'll do what you want. They'll, they'll vote for you. They'll vote for your campaign. They'll contribute money to your campaign if they have money. I mean, and, and, and why... What is that about human nature that causes us to build these worldviews? And, I mean, I've wondered... I've wondered if we're any longer capable in our 21st century to have religions. Of course, the answer's got to be yes, because people are still religious. But if you ask them, they're not going to know. They'll tell you what their tenets are. They won't, they'll say, I'm religious, I believe. But they won't say, I'm religious because without this, I feel lost in the world. They won't, they won't say, it gives me security. They won't say, it gives me a sense of... Uh, of safety, it gives me a sense of completeness in the world, all is right with the world kind of feeling. And how is this? And then when people have their ideologies, whatever they might be, they, they cling to them tenaciously in the face of all reason. And you just, you can't talk to people like that. You can't communicate. And we're all like this. I'm not singling out anyone because everybody has issues that they're, if they feel strongly enough about them, they're not going to change their opinions because they confront people who have opposing opinions. You'll just look at those people and say, well, they're bad people. Well, they, they may not be bad people. They're no different from you. And maybe they've come to them through a long period of examination and they've considered the issues deeply, and they follow their hearts. This is anybody. This is conservatives, liberals. You ask any of them. If you do it apart from a political conflict, you, you get them to talk honestly about what they think without judgment, and they'll tell you this. 
or they come to these conclusions quickly. And they come to them quickly because they just, they feel a certain way. I don't want my freedom infringed upon. You, you don't have to think about that. That's a fact. You're not going to stand by and let anybody violate your freedom. People come to that conclusion very swiftly. And again, that's, that's on both sides of, of most of these issues in some way. And, and they're usually right. They feel like, well, if this, if this goes forward, it will, it will stymie my, my freedom. It will change my life in such a way as that I don't wish for it to change. And, and they're usually correct. And this doesn't matter where you stand on the issues, which issues. It doesn't matter. These things, politics directly control people's lives and change them. And change them into, into what? Into Usually they change them for the worse. But sometimes people will think, well, if, if they would only do this, then the world would be a better world, and I'm right and they're wrong, and if only they would do what I say. Which I have to, I have to reject that too, because who am I to tell anyone else what to do, what to think? And that's what in our country we're supposed to be freed from. We were supposed to have left all of that behind us when we created the United States. We were supposed to have escaped all of that. And initially it was to escape religious persecution. That's why they sailed across the ocean. It was also to get land, get riches, kill people, uh, acquire wealth. Uh, and every, people did that in spades. But what was it originally for? It was because I can't worship as I please. Or my politics, I can't, I can't live as I speak as I think, I can't speak freely, I can't, I can't live in a way that's humane, that's dignified. And so they've come to the United States, and maybe for some people they just, they come to the United States because this is a stable Western country, and people won't try to kill them anymore for belonging to a minority group, or for being poor, or for being persecuted, for having different opinions. Governments tend not to like, in most countries, totalitarian countries, they tend not to like uh, heterodox opinions. And so, you know, instead of working with people or trying to understand them, just kill them, just torture them, kill them, take their property, whatever. There's a book... Uh, Mark Lilla, The Stillborn God, which, if I understand him, I've read it a few times through, but not enough to really know it backwards and forwards, but he seems to indicate that even if you get rid of a religion, or if you domesticate it, if you liberalize it, if you, if you tame it to the point where it's, it's all peaceful and happy and wishy-washy and lukewarm and has no real standards and is weak, well, then you'll stop the problem of religious war. You'll stop the religious violence, and, and you won't, because these people whom you've deprived of their, of their religious worldview now, they're going to end up taking up a political worldview. And they'll, if they won't kill you for their God, they'll kill you for their politics. It won't change. It's human nature. We, we break into tribes of people we agree with. And social media, it seems to me, is just expanding this tendency 
And in fact, it's, it's increasing this tendency to a dangerous degree now because you can hide in your own little world and you will never ever encounter anybody that challenges your worldview. And challenge isn't always bad. It's, challenge can be something that matures you, that, that enhances your humanity. But people tend to avoid this. And in these social networks, you really can isolate. Even, you know, something like YouTube or Netflix. What are they, how do they work? Well, they, they create an algorithm and they feed you stuff based on what you watched before, which on the one hand for advertisers is kind of genius. Then they can figure out exactly what to sell that you'll buy without question. But on the other hand, it's not because you'll be vulnerable then to any number of, uh, of, of political opinions could be dangerous. And people have control over you. When you have a worldview that's that's a fortress, it's isolated, then you never have to question yourself. And one ought to. I mean, especially in in a, in a from a philosoph- philosophical standpoint, you always have to ask yourself, why do I think this? What is it about this that's led me to think this? What are my reasons? What's my chain of reasoning, if you have one? If you don't have one, then you need to ask yourself, why don't I have a chain of reasoning? I just have a knee-jerk response. Why do I think this? And most of the time, most people, wherever they fall, have good reasons. And they have, they have reasons you can empathize with. To me, that's a good reason. If I can empathize with it, I've come to a different conclusion, perhaps, but it's a good reason. And I can, I can have sympathy for that. I can see that. And that really kind of helps uh, calm down. It, 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 it calms people down. And so you still are willing to stand by your, your ideals, but you're less willing to burn somebody's house down because of, because of their ideals not agreeing with your ideals. And so what it means is, is we need to evolve how we look at religion and how we treat religion, how we evaluate it. Because it has nothing to do with God. Even if God's real and people have their religion, they think that that gives them the main line to God. It doesn't. It's, it's at best, it's something that humans have created to interact with the divine, but it, in and of itself, religion has nothing to do with God. Nothing. Some of them talk about God. But that doesn't mean the religion that humans have created created God or has anything to do with God. Of course, if, if you're an atheist, then, you know, as I am, you, you tend to envision people have created their, their gods. But if you're religious, you tend to view it as people have created their idols, and they have lost their honesty as far as God, and now they worship their, their idol that they've created. And that idol doesn't have to be made of gold or, or clay or wood. It can, be, it can be made of concepts. It can be made of, of principles. It can be made of, of ideals. There's a bird that flew right over my head. I was hoping I could 
move the phone out and I wanted to record him flying, but it it was gone before I could. There's birds everywhere. They're everywhere here. So if we if we evaluate how we see these things and we determine these are religious disagreements that are tearing our country apart right now, that are threatening the Western world, or that the West used to colonialize other worlds. These are religious views. These are not minor views. These are not opinions that are separate. I think they're opinions, but they're, they're not, they're not, for most people, they're not separated into a descending order of, of values, of principles. It's, it's, it's all full speed ahead or nothing. It's, it's all, it's taken the same way religious people would defend their religion. And I don't think the new atheists have escaped this. I think they've, in fact, given me a good example to, to give it a, this perspective. I think this perspective is underlined and underscored by the so-called new atheists. Uh, because they're nothing if not very religious in their attitude. If not their outlook, because they think if you banish God, you banish religion. Not so. Their outlook is certainly a religious one. And when you look in the major sacred texts of the world, of, of different cultures, even across cultures, I mean, even after allowing for what's lost in translation, because when you translate a Hindu text or a Buddhist text, into English, you're immediately applying Western terminology. So, again, I've talked about hermeneutics before, where you you bring what you know into your reading and you interpret it as such. There's no, there's no. It's almost impossible to be objective. If you're aware of it, you can be more objective. But you you bring in your interpretations of the meaning of these words and and images and ideals into it. So even if you're reading a Buddhist texts from ancient India, 500 BC. You're reading it in English. They're using English terms. You're reacting to it the way you'd react to any English terms. You're not in their culture. You're, you're separated from their culture. You're immediately applying a Western perspective, a Christian perspective, to a religion and to a culture that's completely outside of, of your experience. If you went ahead and learned the language, that might remedy the problem, but I mean, who, who, how many of us can learn Sanskrit? How many of us can, I mean, can read Chinese or, or cuneiform for Christ's sake, right? We, we can't. And, and then, then people, and they may be, it may be true, it may not be. People conclude, well, all the religions are universal. They're, they're all more or less the same way as I see the world with some different terms, which is not true at all. And that leads them to conclude that, well, because they're all universal, then they're all saying the same thing. And they're not. Not even close. There's nothing, there's nothing in the West comparable, from what I understand of it, there's nothing in Western culture that's comparable to Buddhism, which says that all things are impermanence and it's all illusion. It's nothing in the West that says that. I mean, maybe some of the mystics, um, certain Christian or Jewish or Muslim mystics, but then some scholars think that they've been exposed to Eastern 
traditions and have changed their religions accordingly. Sufism, for instance. Uh, even certain aspects of modern Kabbalism seems to draw more from yoga and chakras than it, and, and even theosophy than it does from its original Judaism. It's been completely removed and taken out of context of the original text. And, and Judaism is pretty familiar to most of us in a way because it's the same Bible. And although now I wouldn't think so, when I was growing up, this was a Judeo-Christian country. So if you, if you read the verses in an, an Old Testament, and then you read a different translation, but it's called Torah, only it's the same book, and it's more or less the same verses. The Psalms, if you read the Psalms, they're more or less the same, whether it's a, the Hebrew translation or whether it's a translation from the Vulgate, from the Latin, the Greek, which is originally written in Hebrew, and they're saying more or less the same thing. We interpret it the same way because we're a Judeo-Christian country, or at least we're a Judeo-Christian culture. Although now I, I think 2021, we're experiencing the disintegration of a unified worldview, and people fall back on what naturally comes next in that line of, of, of succession. When your religions fall apart, you fall back to your politics. And so what do we do? We fall back to our politics and say, well, I am a Westerner. I believe in democracy. And when we go into other countries for right or wrong, what do we try to do? We try to make them democratic. Demo and it doesn't work. I mean, look at, look at the nightmare. We've been in the Middle East for all these years. And, and in the end, what did we do? We left the terrorists have a country now. Congratulations. And we left them some of our, the best weapons we have in our military. Thanks. Taliban are loving us right now because now they've got better weapons. I mean, that's not an idle fear. That's not fear-mongering. That's a fact. That's a fact. that Maybe they don't have people who can fly them yet, but they have Black Hawk helicopters now. That's a fact. And, and what was our original original motivation for going there, it was twofold. One was to kill the terrorists who were killing us. We had the September 11th attack, they killed almost 3,000 of our citizens. That's an act of war. In any, anybody's book, if you kill hundreds and hundreds of, of someone else's countrymen, that's an act of war. Um, of course, war in the last few hundred years has certainly changed into total war. Wars used to be fought on battlefields and had nothing to do with civilians. But now, every time there's a war, the people who die are usually the civilians. They're in the way of all the, the bombs and the guns. And so when we go into these countries, what are we trying to say? We're, we're, going, to, we're going to bring them democracy. Because democracy is better than the dictatorship they lived under. And no kidding. That's why I live here. That's why... We live in this country, and we haven't all moved to to uh, Kazakhstan or some damn thing, right? Why? Because <laughs> dictatorships aren't fun to live under, and they take control of every aspect of of your life for your money. They do that for your money and your property, but they take control over everything you say, everything you think, everything you do, and only that we're not immune to this. We think we're a democracy, so we're safe. No, look what's happening now. And it won't be very long, especially with the isolation that we're inadvertently causing ourselves. Because 
perhaps the ones who originally created it. Maybe some of them had evil intent. At least you could say they had the intent to deliberately get people addicted to social media, to keep using it, because it was a new platform for advertising. You want people, if you're selling stuff, you want people to like your stuff. And how will you get them to like your stuff? Either the stuff you're selling works really well and it meets a need people have, or you get people addicted to the stuff you're selling, or, or they think if they don't have it, then they fail to fulfill a certain requirement in society, social standing or what have you, and they have to have it. Either way, they have to have it. So you're all set. Your revenue stream is, is all set. And I don't have a problem with revenue stream. I don't have a problem with people selling stuff. I don't have a problem with people making money in advertising even. That's, that's fine. That's what we're supposed to do in a capitalist country. The problem I have with it is either you're doing one of two things to people. You're either convincing them they need something they maybe don't need. But if they don't have it, then, then you, they're terrified that they don't have it. Or you're selling stuff to them that gets them addicted. And we know that social media is addicting. We know it is because, because we know that, I mean, I still have yet to figure out and fully understand what the currency is. I mean, if you, if you like something, say you like it, right? But you don't just say you like it. That doesn't have any cash yet. You've got to click on the like button. Why? It, it, I, the, 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 the currency is a mystery to me. You, you click on the like button, and then you subscribe. Well, go ahead and subscribe, okay? And then if you want to support the person, that's all, all the better, right? It's, it's a new form of entrepreneurship now that we're building that's been built for us by a lot of incredibly enterprising young people and a few forward-thinking people. So we have a new form of revenue, a new form of ads, a new form of entrepreneurship only for ideas. I have no problem with that. I mean, at some point soon, I'm going to set up a Patreon myself, you know, to, 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 I don't know. Am I selling out? Yeah. Yeah, I'm selling out. Why? Because I don't want to starve. I originally wanted to get my philosophy degrees, my doctorate, and, and teach at a college. Well, that, isn't that selling out? Isn't that sophistry in a sense? Aren't you getting someone to pay you for your ideas? Except that I think the universities are broken and I don't want to ever work for them. And I don't agree with them. And I, what they're doing is dangerous and destructive. And they're disenfranchising people all across this country. They're young people with their student loan debts. They're never going to pay them back. Uh, now they've, they've recently figured out they don't have to pay their teachers and they can still get the same kind of tuition rates out of people that they could before while underpaying their professors and working them to death. And now the next logical step, and that, that's occurring, COVID has accelerated this, have them do it remotely and charge them the same goddamn thing. I mean, if you're going into the university and they're charging you, at least you can sort of say, well, I'm paying for the upkeep. I'm not just paying for the salaries of the teachers and the administrators. I'm paying for the upkeep of the university so that the property is managed. It looks nice. It, it has good optics. It, it's a safe place. The buildings aren't falling apart. The, the plumbing works. The electricity works. Okay, those are, those are good things to pay for. I mean, you've got to support that. That's fine. The roads they're building, maybe. Okay, fine. But what I'm not cool with is scamming people that they're getting an education that they're not really getting. And now 
you just get them to go onto their Zoom and take the classes over the internet, and then you still charge them the same tuition. When What are they doing? Nothing. They're talking over Zoom. They're in their home. They're doing nothing. They're not, they're not even benefiting from their peers, from being in, in the school with their peers, because that's what builds people's uh, maturity as much as learning different topics. And uh, they're not really learning different topics anymore, because you know, there's, there's even a book, Religious Studies, which is totally corrupted and, and no longer has value. And they admit it freely. They're no longer teaching people from an objective perspective. They're no longer trying to educate people about different religions and different cultures of the world, so they're more rounded people. It's kind of like literature, the humanities. They openly admit that they're trying to teach people activism to engender social change. Well, who says they're right? Well, it doesn't matter, because they expose you to this and you're indoctrinated into it. Or you end up like me and you're an outcast. Either you agree with their indoctrination or you don't pass your class. Simple. And you're paying them to do this to you. And why are they doing it? So they can get you to go out into the world and break stuff. To engender social change, right? Social change, well, that's, that's where the whole, my whole opposition to leftism gone amok and wokeism comes into play. Because you're, you're, you're no longer, you talk about tolerance. But there's no tolerance in this religion, there's no room for questioning or thought, thought or consideration or even empathy. Uh, you're taught that these people are bad, they're your enemy. It doesn't matter where you fall on this spectrum in some cases. I mean, I suppose if one goes to an extreme Christian university and you're taught that non-believers are the devil, it's kind of the same thing. It's sort of the same structure. But to me, the, the reason that the whole thing is falling apart now, and it has to be acknowledged that's falling apart is because they've shifted their their corporate uh, goals to making money and they've shifted their social educational goals their pedagogical goals to training activists and people will become more activist the more educated they are anyway just uh, which side does why do you care it doesn't matter but they're trying to create a cadre now of, of people who are ready-made and minted to walk out of their universities with no skills, no business skills, nothing. No, no social skills, nothing. At least when I started this nightmare over 20 years ago, you, you study literature and liberal arts, liberal arts. No, it was 30 years ago. So you can be a, a better person, a more literate person. And that's gone. And, and some of that stuff is pretty transgressive, and, and literature needs to be. I mean, but literature is transgressive against any number of, of dictatorial systems or oppressive systems. You know, oppression, I use that word cautiously. Uh, so reading the work of an artist will inspire you of itself to question, not to go out and destroy for the sake of change. It'll engender you to question, to examine yourself. And literature, literature is supposed to take on universalities, human universalities. And it's supposed to be reaching the core of what makes us, uh, makes us human. 
that's no longer the case because now there's there's a uh, a one-sided slanted political agenda now for everything that's being taught at these universities and being taught badly I have to also say being taught very poorly and partly because well the teachers aren't being paid and they're not being taken care of and they're afraid probably of where they're going to eat and it's taught poorly because they go into it already thinking I need to change I need to force these people to change so they'll do what I want them to do and so you you have decadence in the universities now and a lot of people get into university they can barely read I mean that's that's criminal that's that's as much criminal against our society as it is against the people who are being given degrees with inflated grades they might as well be handing them fake degrees if they can't really read if they can't evaluate if they don't have critical thinking skills what have you done to them you've wasted years of their life that they should have been using working or learning how to read and then you send them out into the world with a false sense of of, of self-confidence that they have a degree that's worthless I mean aren't, aren't people encountering that they're staying in school way too long they get out of school they have degrees in stuff no one cares about or has even heard of and if they have they're scared of it because it's it's all of it's it's so it, it's so uh, politically aggressive and they're going out into the workforce what do they end up doing working at a coffee shop, right? Data entry, working on the telephones. What, a receptionist? Well, and the businesses look at them and go, what can I do with them? They don't have any skills. They've been in school. They don't even understand how the world really works out here. And, I mean, it's easy for me to get onto a soapbox. I can go on and on indefinitely because now a lot of these companies are worse than the universities. Their HR departments are, are interfering and, and trying to get control over people's behavior or opinions or even their emotions. You're not allowed to even to, to, to feel a certain way without taking... And it's, it's a lot of it is reminiscent to me of what I've read about communist countries in Maoist China. It's not a fear-mongering point for me to make. Because you in, in that country, well, the Communist Party now, it's Xi Jinping, they need to keep people under their control and unified. And they have to, they have to know the, the doctrine of the party. They have to know what the doctrine dictates for them to do because otherwise they'll have revolutions on their hands or they'll have and so what do they do well they they try to brainwash you for years of your life and then if you still don't bow down and you don't surrender to them then they'll just round you up put you into a concentration camp and try to re-educate you or maybe even kill you certainly take your property, certainly destroy your community, your religion, your, your perspectives, certainly destroy that. And they usually tend to target groups that are, are religious because they stand out the most. And they need to destroy the family. They need to destroy anything that competes with the party. They have to destroy anything that will inspire people's passion to act in a manner that's different from what they want people to act. They want a crowd that's cowed and that's in a robotic behavior pattern.
monkey see, monkey do. And I don't see any difference anymore between this democracy, so-called, and the People's Republic of China. I mean, granted, we still have a lot of freedoms here that we haven't lost yet, but we're going to lose them, and very soon. And we're already having them infringed upon. And I'm not saying that as a conservative. I'm saying that because look at our media. What are they telling people? As I said in the other episode, be afraid. This is happening. Be afraid. This is happening. Be afraid. Do what we tell you. These people know how to solve your crisis, a crisis that was artificially created to start with, a crisis that may or may not have any real connection to reality. That's very dangerous. That's, that's very, very destructive. And that, that's, it's, it's frightening to me. Because those kinds of situations where you deprive people, you deprive them of their ability to participate in the system, first of all, and that's what they've done. They've put up increasingly higher walls against us. Our votes mean fuck all. When do we vote? What are our choices? Well, uh, look around. And, and it doesn't matter. What, what side are you on? It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'd like to believe that most Democrats people more or less like me for most of my life are willing to look at the situation that we're in right now and say, my God, this is terrible. And they're not, they're not saying that from disloyalty to their ideology. They're looking at it and going, wow, this is terrible. This is wrong. I'd like to believe that's what led me to a lot of my conclusions, as the, even as they've changed. Because I've looked at, I looked at things and I said, it doesn't matter who is saying this. It doesn't matter if they're saying all the right things or not, it doesn't matter if I agree with them. This is wrong. It is wrong. And if we lose that ability to have introspective uh, consciousness, then what good are we? And it's unfortunate. I mean, I, 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 I wish and I plan on eventually doing more philosophy type stuff, more stuff that's less, that's more apolitical, that's less political. It's very, very hard to escape from it. It permeates everything, especially in these times. And because pretty soon, I mean, it's already being done, what they call, they call cancel culture. It's not cancel culture, okay? It's one dominant ideology that deletes anything that opposes that ideology. That's what it is. It's not cancel culture. It's, it's not even, you can't even say it's, it's driven by distaste. People are rejecting, they're rejecting other opinions. No, it's because their ideology determines their actions. And if you speak up against the excesses of their ideology, or even its dictatorial qualities, then they just shut you up, and they shut you down. Now, there, were, there have been governments for, for, for decades who wished they had that level of control over the public airways in these countries. And what happens in any revolution, you hear about any revolution, what is the first thing they do? They take over the TV stations and the radio stations, and they try to get out their message. And, and a lot of people agree with them. A lot of people don't, so it's scary for them. But a lot of people do. Uh, they know how powerful this is. A whole school of critical theory, the Frankfurt School, explored this for 50 years. They wanted to understand how it was in, in Weimar Germany, which was a weak democracy, but it was working. How is it that in Weimar Germany, it resulted in Hitler, in fascism, well, National Socialism, rather. And let's not forget, the people voted for Hitler. 
He, he didn't come in and use his military. He tried that. He failed. Uh, so he defeated his opponents uh, through the ballot box. Yes, true, there was fighting in the streets. Yes, there was, there was blood and there was conflict and people died. But he won because people supported him. People who might never have agreed with him in the end decided that they did. Why? And, and the Frankfurt School had to, and most of them were Marxist, and they couldn't understand how they lost. How is it that they were defeated? By the National Socialists. And, and part of it is because the National Socialists took over a lot of their, their issues and were almost as socialist as they themselves were communistic. And they did so because there were catastrophes in the country economic catastrophes. There was fear that could play on. There was insecurity. A lot of, the, a lot of these demagogues, it's, it's not in vain that it's pointed out that a lot of, uh, well, they, try, they call them populists, but usually they're speaking a truth, but they appeal to fear. They appeal to people being afraid of the increased destabilization of their country. But I think in all of these issues, it's, it's, you can address it from a psychological perspective, which I'll want to talk to Chris about that. And you should also engage it from a religious perspective. And I don't mean your religion or your religious perspective. I, I mean that of a religious scholar who's outside of it, is trying to identify the social phenomena that we call religion. It doesn't matter, like in phenomenology, it doesn't matter if there is a God. It doesn't matter if this stuff is true or not. It just it matters that people believe it and it's a social phenomena. Why? What does it do that's good for people? What does it do that's not so good? And how can we measure these things? And if we don't apply the same awareness, the same level of lucidity to political groups, disagreements, ideologies... We're not just going to lose an election. We're going to lose our freedom. We're going to lose the country. And especially if it's driven by a dying media that, that is desperate for more ratings. I don't know how... I mean, they get money for more ratings if they have less ratings. Advertisers will pull out. Advertisers won't fund them. Uh, so they're becoming increasingly outrageous to frighten people to wake them up, right? That's what they would probably say. Well, we're trying to wake people up. No, they're, they're trying to intimidate people because that is what it is when you want to wake somebody up through fear, right? Now, sometimes it makes sense. Wear your safety belt. For years, when I was growing up, nobody wore seat belts. No one. Ever. And so, for a while, they tried to terrorize people into wearing their seat belts, which actually is a, is a good idea because... They do save, in most accidents, they save your life. The few that I've been in, I, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and had I been wearing one, I would have been damaged. But those, those kind of things are rare. Most car accidents, if you're in a safety belt, you live. If you're not in one, you die. And when they couldn't do that through fear, they did it through economic incentive. If we catch you not wearing your seatbelt, we'll charge you for a ticket, make you pay a fine. And that's what they're doing now in terms of free speech. If you say something that, that, that we don't like, we the establishment, we the whatever, 
we'll make you pay a fine for for an act of violence, for an act of hate speech. That that's why this that's why this stuff keeps dragging me into it against my will. It's very very important that we plumb this to the depths. Because if we don't, we'll we'll lose our we'll lose our control, our freedom. We'll lose perhaps even our lives. Certainly our money. You know, if they can put you in jail because you said, and it doesn't even matter what you said. And look at the, you read any book about the Spanish Inquisition. Read Solzhenitsyn. If all you have to do to take someone out in the madness of the crowd, in the, in the you know, the madness of the ideology, if all you have to do to cancel someone, shut them up, shut them down, is make, make a, um, an accusation that somebody said something that violated this rule or that rule or made me feel threatened, blah, 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 blah. If that's all you have to do to shut them down, then there are going to be a lot of opportunists. And this is human nature. Opportunists. There were a lot of people during the Spanish Inquisition. And the Inquisitors didn't care about what the truth was. They, they cared because they thought they knew the truth and they were destroying people who were undermining the truth. It didn't matter if the person making the accusation was lying or not. And, and certainly the courts in the Soviet Union, such as there were, there really weren't any, and the gulags, they didn't give a damn about the truth. And if all you need to do to shut someone up and permanently destroy them, take their freedom, even their life, is make an accusation. Accusations that are untrue, unfounded, or unproven then we no longer have a court system. We no longer have a system of justice. We no longer have the right to defend yourself. That's why people left Europe and came to the United States, because in Europe that happened all the time. You were accused. You didn't know who your accusers were. You were locked up into the prison, and you never had a chance to even get a lawyer because you couldn't afford one. That's what's happening here now. This is the United States. This this is the motherfucking United States. And... This transcends party. I almost think that this gives us reason to abandon party. Because we, if we allow this to happen in the United States, and someone doesn't like what I say, they'll shut me down. You know, it could happen. It happens all the time to people. Right now, I mean, I'm perhaps below the notice. I'm not being, I'm not being spied on very much yet. Uh, but the more people there are, the more chances someone will disapprove, especially if they're brainwashed by an ideology. The greater the chances, they'll go to their system administrator, whatever it is, or they'll use the algorithm. If you're uh, writing, if you're uh, on a social network, Twitter or Facebook or something, you're writing a blog, and you write stuff that the algorithm picks out as being objectionable, then they can, they can shut you down. We don't live in America any longer, and nothing about America anymore. Then we'll be living in probably one of the worst kinds of dictatorships. It won't even be by a strong man or by a, a, a single political party. It'll be dictatorship by mob rule. No courts, no justice, no self-defense. No right to argue a defensive position. No innocent until proven guilty. 
I mean, if you're okay with throwing away innocence until proven guilty, then we'll proceed as we are. Because that's what's upon us now, and very soon it's what will unweave the fabric of, of this culture that weaves it together. That's one of the tenets of it. Individual rights, innocent until proven guilty. We have a system of laws. We have a system of justice. Uh, although flawed, it's better than no system at all. It's better than a mob rule. It's better than vigilante justice. Because how often do they kill the wrong people? Because of a rumor. This is not something... And driven by a religious hysteria, because that's what this is. It's religious hysteria. The same religious hysteria that caused the Thirty Years' War in Europe. The same religious hysteria that when the Crusaders uh, conquered Jerusalem, that led them to murder all the Muslims and Jews. That's, that's not what we want in this country. We don't, we don't want religious hysteria driven by politics. The same religious hysteria that drove the Cultural Revolution. The same religious hysteria that led Chinese soldiers to murder students in Tiananmen Square. This is not what we want. I don't think anybody listening to my voice now or in the future that hears me say this would agree to that. I can't imagine anybody who would. And if that's the case, then, then the first step to take is to be self-aware. To be conscious of how you're thinking and why, how you're feeling and why. To have a sense of lucidity. If you don't have this, then you'll be easily led. If you do have it, you may still be led, but uh, far less likely... It's far less likely you'll agree with the crowd, go stone them to death, burn the witches. You won't agree to it. I don't want that for this country, and I don't want to live under a system that has that as its main uh, mainstay of, of law. Where rumors and gossip can, can get you killed. That is not a situation that we want to live under. And don't think it can't happen that way. It can there's nothing I mean this was a great experiment and there's a lot of great ideas under underlying our the writings of our founding fathers granted it's flawed but right now it's it's the best humans have, have managed to do it's rare that in a, in a kingdom or an imperial power that you have a wise king who rules justly. Sometimes that happens. You have a golden age in these kingdoms. But most of the time, it's just by, by mediocre or truly stupid, violent, angry, mean despots. Uh, and the courts, the police, then it's a police state. That's not what we want in the, in the United States. And just because we're the United States, it can and will happen here. In fact, it is happening. And if, and if we don't at least take the first steps. And, and, and again, th this is almost as heavy as the last one I made. I'm sorry about that. Uh, what's the solution? Well, first it's counteracted by self-awareness. And careful consideration, careful thought. What liberals used to do but no longer appear to do. Careful consideration, deep thought, empathy, a compassionate, open-minded worldview. Liberal used to mean that. Liberate has to do with freedom, freedom of thought. It no longer does. I remember freshmen in college uh, having the college president actually tell us, and this is when liberals were still 
thinking for themselves were still liberals as far as I'm concerned, when they said, I would not want to live under any totalitarian regime, even one that I agree with or approve of, because it's totalitarian. He said that. Would anyone dare to say that now? I doubt it. Would any administrator in their, yeah, their, the first days when they're doing their orientation for the students coming in, when they want to say the mission statement of the university, do you think anybody would dare to stand up now and say that? No, it's a lot of garbage about equal output, equal opportunity, level playing field, all of it misinterpreted and misunderstood, all of it misused. Nothing about freedom of thought, nothing about resisting a totalitarianism or objecting to violence. Nothing. They wouldn't dare. They'd be afraid of losing their jobs. And people live, if they live in fear like that, then the system is already, it is no longer broken. It is failed. It is a failed system. And, and we know from, from history. You don't even have to know much history. We know from history in situations like this, things go bad quickly because human nature is, is almost pre-designed to, to send good sense by the wayside in mob rule, in violence, in totalitarianism. This is not what we want. And one key to decoding all of this is, is attempting to change how we, view, how we view politics. We need to view that as a religion as well. You can call it a pseudo-religion or a quasi-religion if you must. I mean, that's Marxism has been called that before, a quasi-religion. But you've got to call it what it is. It's a religion. It's, it's if you like, an idolatrous, if you're, if you're Christian or Jewish or whatever, then, well, you can use that term to qualify it. But you've still got to look at it as a religion. You have to approach it with the same kind of caution that you'd approach any religion, because religions can be wildfire. They can be nitroglycerin. And this, this is something that uh, the, the naive, I should think, very naive, more erudite than I and learned, but, but still naive nonetheless, the, the new atheists, they think all they've got to do is kill Santa Claus. If we just kill Santa Claus, then this whole thing will go away. No, it, it won't go away. And it won't vanish like smoke under the, the bright clarity of the day of reason. It won't. It never has, and it can't. And it won't ever do. That's not, that's not how you combat the excesses of religious extremism. That's not. That doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. Every time that's been tried, it's failed. So, I don't really have an answer. I, I want to explore this more over time, different, maybe go into more about different political religions, whatever their, their dogmas are, whatever their principles are, and just try to examine, examine from a philosophical perspective. Um, again, I'm sorry for how heavy this is. Um, I appreciate you listening to me. I'm amazed that, I'm amazed that uh, even though there may not be very many of you, there are so many. <laughs> it's more than I would have expected. It's more than maybe I deserve, but I mean, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we can deal with that over time. And I hope to offer more material to increase. It can only be 
for the good if, if I'm able to reach more people. Even if my ideas are kind of wrong, if I can reach more people, it demonstrates to me that we still have liberty. So I really appreciate your, uh, that you're listening, that you're out there. We can, have this, we can have a human connection across space and time, across the world. So, again, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate you very much. And be assured uh, that one day we will meet again under the shadow of the lily.